This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan research reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2024, JP Morgan Chase and Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on 9th February, 2024. Hello, and welcome to this discussion about emerging markets following the publication of our February edition of Emerging Markets Outlook and Strategy Report. I'm Luis Oganes, Head of Global Macro Research, I'm joining this conversation by my colleagues, uh, Johnny Golding, who's in charge of EM strategy, and Oris Antivani, an uh, senior EM global economist. Uh, we have a, uh, had a, a bit of a volatile um, uh, start of the year, for sure, with the market being forced to take back some of the very aggressive discounting of policy easing by the Fed and other uh, developed market central banks with clear messages coming from uh, their, their governors that uh, the market was just being too aggressive uh, in terms of how much uh, was being discounted or how early the cuts could start. That obviously had reverberations across markets and emerging market fixed income was not a, 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 the exception. A, but uh, there are certainly you know, good news to share as well, which is the resiliency of US growth, the resiliency of emerging markets growth uh, to speak of, uh, that is supporting uh, the market. And of course, the expectation is still that even though March uh, may be uh, out of the question for the start of Fed and other central bank easing, that we may still have that in the horizon uh, sometime in the second quarter. So let me just start this conversation, Nora, with, uh, with you. Um, would you say that our, our risks are building for a stronger EM growth at the start of the year, given the surprises that we're seeing coming from the US and other uh, uh, DM countries? Yes, certainly the global backdrop at the start of the year is a little bit better than we anticipated. It's one of continued resilience. We're seeing a broad-based upturn in the PMIs, including a lift in services activity, some improvement in manufacturing conditions even. And these are suggesting that both global and EM growth are at worst steady and perhaps even gathering pace uh, at, at the start of the year. In the US, we still see some slowing in growth, but we have raised our forecast for the first quarter. And of course, Q4 was very strong, 3.3%. So for Q1, we now have 1.7. Consumer demand in particular looks more solid and that's helped by strong labor markets, falling inflation. Uh, Western Europe is still quite weak for the time being, but EM growth you know, ended 2023 on a strong note. We had growth running close to 4%. And the PMIs across much of EM were surprisingly strong outside of China. Current levels are pointing to upside risk to our forecast for the first quarter. Now, for China, we are getting uh, more you know, policy measures and policy easing being put in place. Uh, we think that should keep overall GDP growth running you know, around this 5.5% mark in the near term. But, you know, we are still quite concerned over the medium term outlook amid all these imbalances in the domestic economy. We're seeing that um, translate into ongoing deflation. You know, we've got the housing market weakness, which has yet to show clear signs of a turnaround. And that deflation pressure is problematic because it's also creating a drag on corporate revenues, profits, it's putting further stress on private sector confidence. Now, outside of China, things look better. For EM Asia, growth is you know, still quite solid. The bellwether economies are getting a continued uh, lift from the upturn in tech demand globally. In LATAM and EMEA-EM, we have growth rebounding a little bit at the start of the year, including in Central Europe, Brazil, Mexico, 
And that's on the back of further improvements for the consumer, but also industrial production. So, you know, on the whole, Luis, as, as we laid out in our year at Outlook, uh, I think we're still in this kind of observational equivalence period here where the data do not clearly distinguish among the various possible scenarios for growth. But I would say on the whole, where this kind of soft landing scenario is still broadly supported by the data. So this combination, uh, Nora, that you're talking about, okay, easing inflation, stronger growth, the Fed, you know, maybe not doing anything until June. What do you think that overall means for EM central banks that they will be doing? In some countries, we have seen surprises on the upside, meaning more the size of cuts uh, larger than expected and others smaller than expected. Do you think that uh, there is some constraints of how much more easing we may see in EM? Yeah, Louise, I think the easing cycles in EM remain very much on track. Uh, inflation has generally surprised to the downside. You know, some of that has come from food and energy. Um, you know, overall, we've seen very good progress with headline inflation coming down within target ranges in many countries. Um, we were worried about El Nino, you know, that's having a little bit of impact in Brazil, Mexico, but overall, the impact is less severe than feared. Energy prices remain a drag. Core inflation, there's still some stickiness there. So we don't expect a lot of uh, further progress on core uh, disinflation in coming months. Um, services inflation in particular is still sticky. But I think even with that, there's a sense that we've seen sufficient progress on inflation for EMs to at least dial back on some of their highly restrictive stances, monetary policy stances, you know, global financial conditions are supportive. The Fed, you know, not cutting before May, June, um, but we are increasingly confident that those cuts will come, you know, based on the inflation declines where we're forecasting. Um, for EM central banks, I think they're generally telling us that they're going to keep easing. They generally favor a steady pace of easing, is, and that's what we're seeing for, for the most part. But there are some countries, uh, as you said, where actually the pace of easing is being accelerated, um, Chile, uh, Czechia, for example. And that's you know, largely on the back of a combination of weaker activity and also inflation already back within comfort zones. EM Asia is still waiting for the Fed, I think, to pull the trigger before they start their policy rate cuts. But I think once the Fed gets going, EM Asia as well could perhaps um, ease a little bit more than we were previously expecting. So we've actually been adding more easing to the second half profile for places like Thailand, Philippines. Um, on the whole, I should point out, though, that we at JP Morgan are still uh, kind of forecasting um, somewhat shallower easing cycles relative to the markets. Interesting. Thank you so much, Nora. Let's switch, uh, Johnny, to discussion markets. As I said at the beginning, you know, uh, so far this year, it's been a little bit of a mixed uh, performance uh, uh, for, for EM. EM currencies, we have seen some weakness versus the dollar. The dollar clearly appreciating. Uh, part of that is a reflection of the repricing of rates or policy intentions here. But EM credit spreads, local currency bond yields have actually, you know, uh, declined along with more positive risky markets globally, I would say. How are we looking at the overall environment for uh, EM fixed income here? And uh, how are we thinking about the impact of this U.S. rate cycle uh, on, on our asset class? Yeah, so I think overall we're looking at a, a global environment which we still think is supportive uh, for EM. And part of that has a base case of a U.S. cutting cycle, um, and that is very much key to it. Uh, obviously, the pushback that, that you've mentioned uh, in the markets 
uh, or sorry, on the markets by the Fed. Um, and the data flow, to be honest, has, has helped um, EMFX weaken a bit against the dollar. It's probably given a slightly worse feel to our markets than is warranted. Uh, most risk assets have rallied over that period globally. EM credit spreads, as you said, are tighter. Local bond yields have actually ended up being lower. Um, and if we think about the environment that Nora painted is one, if we just take a step back of where we are in the cycle, is one where inflation is falling without a significant hit to growth. And activity indicators are maybe even turning up here. Uh, and that allows EM central banks and probably DM as we get through the year to, to credibly cut. Um, so that feels like a reasonably good environment. Local market valuations, both in FX and rates, don't look stretched at the moment. And so we're uh, more constructive on those parts. Uh, I think for credit, it's not a, a bad environment either. But as we've been highlighting a lot, spreads are already quite low uh, in sovereigns and corporates. And so we feel um, more neutrally disposed to that bit of the asset class. Key, obviously, for us is, and for the markets, is whether this repricing of um, rates that we are seeing in the US is one of sort of moving within a defined regime or whether it is opening up the door to, to having to think about a high for long or higher for longer regime uh, for the Fed. Um, it felt to us, if we think about where we were last much of last year, that the scenarios were really wide open. We were talking about U.S. recession. We were talking about higher for longer, i.e. rates just keeping going up in the U.S. Uh, we were talking, you know, soft landing a bit. So all of these were in play. And it's felt to us a bit um, that the, the scenarios were narrowing. Obviously, the market, given the flow of data, has said the U.S. recession looks less likely and so quickly went to price in a soft landing here. Um, and a front-loaded Fed cutting cycle the Fed helped with that with their guidance, uh, to be fair, in December as well. And obviously, you've seen some pushback on that. And that's driven some negative returns, particularly focused uh, on currencies. We are looking at this at the moment, though, as to be a repricing, which is taking place within an overall EM-friendly regime, one where the Fed will be cutting and growth isn't too bad. Um, and not that this signifies a shift to, to a more adverse regime, which would be a sort of high for long, um, the Fed really isn't coming into cut in the way that markets are priced at the moment. So that obviously remains key for EM. Um, US data, uh, particularly inflation, is going to be where we're really focusing. In fact, Chair Powell guided that really growth and employment can stay good and the Fed will still be cutting if inflation is, is well behaved. So I think we're, we're going to be focusing a lot at the moment. Uh, at the moment, we, as I said, we're still looking at this as, as sort of uh, this is a repricing within a, a regime which is supportive. Uh, but if we have to change that view, that that's really where we're going to need to be focused. So, Johnny, there seems to be some uh, conflicting signals coming on the uh, demand side for EMSs at the moment. You know, on the one hand, we're seeing several issuers coming, uh, mostly high grade, but some high yield, you know, and quite a bit of demand for those, you know, demand quite robust uh, for dollar debt. Uh, but um, at the same time, there seems to be a lag for uh, EM currencies. So, overall, how do you feel about the flows, uh, how they are looking here, and uh, do we see signals from primary markets and currency moves or something changing here? 
Yeah, so the last month probably felt different depending on where you were sitting in EM. Um, EM currencies, as you said, just couldn't rally despite other risk markets uh, really trading quite well. And, and that sort of leads to a question about what it is that's wrong with demand for EM assets. On the other hand, if you are sitting in EM sovereign credit, uh, we've just seen the largest ever start to the issuance calendar um, and spreads continue to head lower in the last one month. Right? So we're a little bit wider year today, but basically over the last month we've been tightening despite seeing really very large issuance. Um, I think there's quite different drivers at work here. For EM currencies, we have a number of factors which we've highlighted. Commodity prices are probably front and center in that. They have been notably soggy uh, for industrial metals, for example. Uh, there's obviously a little bit of erosion of carry, um, although carry still seems pretty good. Uh, and a bit of payback from the resilience in the EMFX last year. So um, something that I, the economists have been highlighting as well is that particularly in places like Asia, um, you saw some um, um, policy action, which essentially was trying to lean against any currency weakness as US rates were going up last year. And maybe EMFX was a bit more resilient that way and is just being a bit more you know, resilient on the other side in that it, it just um, hasn't benefited as much from some of the factors that, that other markets have been. We, we don't think there's anything particularly wrong with EMFX or, or any big problems that we are seeing in it. Um, we just think there's a number of those factors which are, which are at play at the moment. Sovereign credit and generally in, on, on EM credit generally, I think the robust primary uh, market is there despite there being no net inflows. And part of that is about there being some other pockets of demand um, which are there. So uh, non-EM dedicated investors, crossover investors seem to be uh, interested in longer duration uh, investment grade EM assets. Part of that is because they want to be long duration. They, they think that yields are coming down. And also there's been a lack of supply and EM sovereigns in particular have actually underperformed a bit if you look against uh, IG credit. And so um, they feels like they are coming in to help support demand. Locals uh, within emerging markets are also a source of demand here. Uh, so maybe the fund flows don't capture all of those dynamics. Um, one thing we have been highlighting is that actually, if you look at the high yield and, and you're right to highlight, we've started to see uh, some high yield issuers come back to the market is that we've actually seen this enormous gap uh, of issuance over the last couple of years. Um, what has happened is as rates started to go up, primary markets and market access essentially closed for many of those high yield issuers. And you've seen somewhere in the region of 70 to 80 billion of what we would have expected to be issued. So if you took the run rate prior to that and extrapolated it forward, we've just seen uh, that has just not come to market. Um, it's not, unfortunately, that there was a big pot of cash which investors have to invest. Uh, unfortunately, that got taken out with outflows from the asset class. But it does sort of beg the question about how these countries managed over the last couple of years. Um, to finance themselves despite not having market access. And, and one thing that, that our colleagues have been writing about is that actually it's been a tremendous amount of flexibility shown um, in some of these particularly frontier markets over the last couple of years. So private sector has been a source of financing. Uh, we have seen current accounts improving. 
Uh, and also there's been uh, the public sector has been relying a bit on the IMF and other multilateral lenders. And all of that actually has been quite helpful uh, to help them get through. Um, so interestingly, that, that, that has meant that despite the lack of issuance uh, from that part of the market, actually countries managed uh, to get through. And you know, hopefully the, the primary markets are now opening a bit more as evidenced by some of the deals that, that we've seen coming. Uh, on the flow side of things, it's something where if you squint, you might be able to see some improvement. And uh, this week just saw the first weekly inflow into EM bond funds in two months. So, um, you know, maybe something we've started to see a little bit been highlighting that the outflows are, have been uh, getting less. Um, we are still down two and a half billion in terms of flows this year. So two and a half billion of outflows. Most of that came from hard currency funds. Um, but we do think as we get through the second half of the year, maybe not so much in the first, but um, we are expecting the flow environment should start improving. We think that uh, a Fed cutting cycle is going to be key to that. Uh, and maybe we're starting to, to at least see some of the worst of the, of the outflow period. Um, uh, it's, it's been improving now for maybe six months, but maybe we're even getting to the point where we can start getting weeks where we get inflows. Uh, this is another aspect of EM that's a bit dependent on the Fed cutting uh, this year, which uh, is obviously key to the overall outlook. Thanks, Johnny. So overall, looks like uh, we do have a, you know, I would say constructive view for uh, EM uh, fixed income as an asset class. To the extent that we are seeing the growth support, we're seeing that this inflation continuing. Uh, the policy support is also going to be coming from further uh, rate cuts by EM central banks. Uh, of course, everything hinges on the Fed uh, starting to cut as his markets are expecting a little bit later this year. So one of the key risks here uh, that we keep uh, uh, bringing up sometimes in client discussions is the possibility of no landing where, where the where the where the US neither soft lands nor goes into a recession, in which case uh, market may be forced to take back even further uh, that discounted uh, uh, rate cuts, but uh, uh, time will tell. Uh, thank you for joining me in this discussion. Uh, we invite uh, uh, JP Morgan clients to take a look at our February edition of Emerging Markets Outlook and Strategy. Uh, Johnny and Nora, thanks for joining me in this conversation.